Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you. I mean, hopefully we have a a more relaxed week than the first week of, you know, 2021. I think as we move into this year, I'm hoping that that was just, you know... Something that they just, you know, 2021 wanted to try on us. They just wanted to see how we would react, you know? Like, I feel like 2021 might be, like, 2020's, like, like twin sister. But I'm hoping she's, like, the kinder, nicer sister. Yeah. And, and of course, yes, that's what we hope. I mean, this week hopefully is a a more relaxed week considering next week is the inauguration. And I know a lot of us are going to be kind of on the edge of our seats to see what happens, including obviously all those in Washington, D.C. But yeah, the next uh, two weeks are going to be very critical. Uh, We just got to be there for each other and ourselves right now. That's all I got to (laughs) say. But speaking of that, we do have one of our favorite clinical psychologists, Dr. Josh Klapo, joining us today to talk about how you take care of yourself uh, during kind of uh, toxic news phases of life, right? And just these crazy times, literally. I thought I was just going to say that in 2020, as you mentioned, but yes, more crazy times. Uh, Plus, we're going to be bringing you everything you need to know about Trump's impeachment and also the debate over parlor and free speech on social media. So that and more on the show today. I mean, that was enough, but we've got a lot coming up. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. Democratic Representative David Cicilline, who is helping lead the push to impeach President Trump, is getting hateful threats left on his office's voicemail. And here are just a few from CNN. Uh, By the way, they cleaned up the language you'll hear, uh, but the threats are very disturbing. You poked the bear this time, you little You poked the bear. You understand what I'm saying? You got 80 million people coming after you, you commie little If you impeach him, civil war is on, buddy. Yeah, so that was released and, of course, uh, bringing up a lot of reactions and responses um, as, you know, a lot of people are scared right now from what they see from last week and all these things that continue to be released. Now, President-elect Joe Biden received his second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine today. Uh, Biden and his wife, Jill, each received their first shots, if you're a member of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, on December 21st at uh, Christiana Care Hospital in Newark, Delaware, as part of a campaign of high-level officials uh, taking the vaccine to demonstrate that it is safe and effective. 
Now, the attending physician for Congress said Sunday elected officials and their staff were potentially exposed to someone infected with COVID-19 while the U.S. Capitol was locked down during um, that riot insurrection that happened last week. Tennessee Representative Chuck Fleischman also tweeted Sunday that he had tested positive for the virus after coming into contact with a number, another member of Congress. And finally, you're wondering what's going to happen at the inauguration. Well, up to 15,000 National Guard members could be deployed in Washington during the presidential inauguration next week. Senior defense officials said that today, and it's part of a rapidly expanding response following uh, everything that happened last week. I feel like I keep needing to reference that, but you know, every headline is like, this is happening in response to that. Now, Army General Daniel R. Hokinson, the chief of the National Guard Bureau, said this. Obviously, we're very concerned that we want our individual to have the right to self-defense. And so that will be an ongoing conversation. And if the senior leadership determines that that's the right posture to be in, then that is something that we will do. Okay, that was what's trending this hour. So what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Now, why was there such an uproar this weekend aimed at VP elects Kamala Harris's Vogue cover? It's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So let's break this down. It all started out with a leaked photo of Kamala seen wearing her signature suit in Chuck Taylor's. But mm-hmm. many social media users slammed the leaked cover, calling it disrespectful and speculating that the image was deliberately washed out to lighten her skin. I mean, girl, it got so bad that Harris's team told the Associated Press that the shot isn't what both sides had agreed upon, saying they felt blindsided. I mean, strong words. Uh, Vogue ended up dropping two covers, one that was honestly way better, in my opinion, of Kamala Harris in a baby blue suit looking absolutely stunning. Um, But yeah, I mean, the initial photo that was leaked, I don't know what they were going for. It just looked messy and just kind of thrown together. Um, it, yeah, it just didn't look good. And I, I didn't think about the lightening of her skin, but I just didn't think it was what she kind of deserved as her like first like Vogue cover, right? It was interesting. Yeah, I thought right away from the headline when I saw that, that she wasn't even sure if she was going to be on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought originally. Well, like, yeah. I can't believe I'm gonna be on the, I was going to be on the cover. I didn't well, know that. And the thing is, uh, so many uh, other kind of fashion news journalists uh, spoke out and said that uh, Anna actually, they, they basically were aware. Anna decided that, yeah, we're agreeing on this one shot of her in the baby blue suit. Um, but she ended up changing it last minute. And then they decided to do two covers and they're going with both of those covers so Mm. if you want to make your own decisions head over to our instagram story to see the covers at lgt show and of course i got more t report coming up next hour okay and next up on the show the latest on president trump's latest impeachment with the washington post that's next let's go there with shira and ryan the new channel q House Democrats introduced an article of impeachment against President Trump today, accusing him of inciting insurrection at the Capitol building on January 6th. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told GOP colleagues on Friday that the earliest a Senate trial could likely be held would be on January 19th. And joining us right now is national political reporter from The Washington Post, Colby Itkowitz. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, it's hard to keep up right now because at every moment there's something going on. But what are you hearing today? How likely is this to move forward considering uh, it is split along party lines? Yeah, so it is 100% moving forward. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has the votes. 
uh, to pass impeachment, the articles of impeachment. They're going to vote on it on Wednesday. And so she has the 218 Democrats necessary to impeach the president for a second time. Whether or not any Republicans will actually join uh, the Democrats in impeaching the president remains to be seen. We have maybe one or two that have seemed like they're leaning in that direction, but maybe not the whole way there. And, and like to your point, the Senate's not going to convict him if they do convict him at all, they're not going to convict him before the end of his term. Well, I think what's super frustrating is that we've seen some Republicans actually speak out and and you think that, oh, this would be the moment where everyone would kind of be on one page. Why do you think that a lot of people are still pushing to not do this? I think it still comes down to fear of the Republican base, of the primary, getting primaried on the right, of really angering uh, that constituency that is still incredibly important to a Republican lawmaker looking to run for re-election. Uh, that's been the main problem all along of the Trump presidency. Uh, Trump has created uh, this kind of subset of the Republican Party, this uh, who are just loyal to him and him alone. And so if Trump says, I'm going to primary you, you really run the risk of losing your seat. And so they can they can condemn this violence and they can even condemn his inciting of the violence. But going the extra step of impeaching him threatens to alienate those voters even more. Well, it seems like they tried to completely shift the narrative, saying like those were not Republicans we saw out there. Those <laughs> well, you were... saw some of that. Yeah, yeah. and so I, it's just so confusing because it seems like Republicans are trying to uh, save the values of the party and kind of segregate Trumpism in some ways. Well, you certainly have some Republicans, uh, particularly the ones that are especially loyal to the president, who have tried to feed this narrative that it was, in fact, Antifa that had infiltrated the protest. There is zero evidence of that. Let's make that be perfectly clear. Mm -hmm. These were, um, you know, some are calling them domestic terrorists. They were white supremacists. They were proud boys. They were there for the Trump rally. They were there to storm the Capitol. Uh, we have evidence through message boards showing what their plans were, that they wanted, some wanted to kidnap lawmakers. They wanted to hold Pence accountable for not being loyal enough to Trump. And so you do have this segment of the Republican Party in Congress that no matter what happens is always going to find a, try to find a way to uh, defend Trump. But that number is dwindling. And I think what we saw after last Wednesday is that there are more and more Republicans now with two weeks left in the administration uh, willing to say that the president is responsible for what happened last week. Yeah. Again, you're hearing from national political reporter from the Washington Post, Colby Itkowitz. So there's been a lot of different polls done, right, that show about half of Americans believe Trump should be removed from office. But of course, that is split between Democrats and Republicans still. What does that right. say about how people saw this event and Trump's responsibility in it? Well, I think what what you have to remember is that the way people consume news uh, today is very bifurcated. And so if you're only receiving your news from conservative media outlets, uh, then you are not going to hear about the fact that this was a Trump incited violent event. And because we still have, I know we had, I think it was something like 64% said that he was responsible for inciting violence, which is, which is, you know, two thirds of Americans. Uh, that's certainly higher than have been opposed to him in things in the past. And so even many Republicans can now see that he, his rhetoric actually caused people to die last week. Right. But you're absolutely right that there are 
still these segments of the republic of Republican voters, Republican lawmakers, who have this alternate reality. They live in this this separate kind of parallel universe of uh, the facts that they believe in that aren't actually true. And and it's been really really hard to cut through that as the Washington Post and the New York Times to kind of cut through that disinformation. That's what it is, right? It's disinformation. Yeah. It, it, it's so dangerous. And I think about like acting Homeland uh, Se- Security Secretary Chad Wolf stepping down. Should Democrats and the Joe Biden administration be fearful with inauguration just nine days ahead? Yeah. So, I mean, he'll there. He's been an, an act in an acting role for this entire time. And there'll be someone else that will kind of step up into an acting role for the next 10 days, you know, you're going to have the DC police out there, you're going to have a lot of other forces out there providing security. I don't think the lack of uh, Chad Wolf uh, being in a in that position um, will change anything about how the security goes on the 20th. I think it is uh, notable, though, that he is um, stepping down and, and, and he's taking, I guess, some some responsibility, his quote says, unfortunately, this action is warranted by recent events, the action being his stepping down. Trump also, to be to remind you, actually withdrew his nomination. So his stepping down as an acting secretary is, is somewhat toothless, considering the president already told him <laughs> he didn't want him. Also, he wasn't going to get confirmed in the next 10 days. So all of this is just kind of semantics <laughs> and in, inside baseball a little bit. But if, if we should be worried about security on um, next week, and I think we obviously should be worried about security next week. Chad Wolf wasn't the thing standing between uh, a bunch of white nationalists and uh, the inauguration crowd. And Well, thank you so much again for joining us uh, today. That was national political reporter from the Washington Post, Colby Itkowitz. Have a great day. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, now coming up on the show, parlor, social media, and free speech. Where do we draw the line? We get into all of that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Social media platforms and tech companies have stepped up banning Parler, President Trump and other high profile accounts for false information and sharing content that incites violence, specifically related to the Capitol riots and insurrection that happened last week. And joining us right now to talk about uh, social media, free speech and everything in between is Recode reporter Rebecca Howell. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for having me. First off, can you explain why they called out Parler now when people have been flagging this app and social network for a while? Yeah, I mean, you're right to say that Parler has had a lot of problematic, offensive content on its platform for a really long time. I think what happened is that the Capitol insurrection made online extremism and offensive content online an issue no one could ignore. Mm. And people who had never once paid attention to this site suddenly knew what it was. And I think that really raised the stakes for a lot of the tech companies that Parler uses to stay online, like Amazon, Apple, Google. So what what do you think uh, made the companies kind of move so quickly? Did they fear that they it could have some type of blowback for them? Like, what does that look like in the sense of them, like the people who are making these decisions being like, we have to do something now? I think it was a couple of factors. I think, first of all, the images from the Capitol were stunning and horrifying. But I think we can't ignore the fact that these companies now know there's a Democratic Senate and that's a new new dynamic for them, which means that they're they're worried about regulation, 
has completely changed. And I think, you know, we've seen time and time again that, you know, once Facebook does something, Twitter will do something and then Amazon will feel okay doing something. And basically they all kind of gave each other permission to really take more aggressive steps than they have before. Yeah. And has Parler acknowledged that they are a far right extremist? So Parler leadership calls itself like a free speech app and they've basically positioned themselves as an alternative to Twitter and Facebook and there's been this cycle of every time Twitter or Facebook gets more aggressive in terms of its own content moderation Parler's there to say hey if you can't post something on those platforms you're welcome here so Parler's leadership has said they're not partisan they're not explicitly more conservative though inevitably the site is very conservative. And then on top of a lot of the conservative influencers that you see, there's this whole other layer of QAnon, you know, white supremacist content, other types of offensive content that is on that app as well. Well, what stops a what stops another platform like this from rising? Like, you know, like if they're going to all these people, if they can't go on parlor, they're going to find somewhere else to go to and do what they do. I think that Ultimately, nothing really stops that from happening. We're already seeing that uh, people are going to other platforms like Gab, for instance. It's also important to note that Parler doesn't think it's done for good. They're certainly looking for other hosting services as well. And I think that's the challenge because you have the mainstream platforms that are increasingly pressured to sort of take out and weed out a lot of this bad content. But then those the communities that post that go somewhere that's even worse and even more kind of out of sight of the mainstream. And that can kind of make it more dangerous. Yeah. Again, you're hearing from Recode reporter Rebecca Howell. I think this all brought up um, a lot to talk about around free speech and what's not protected under the First Amendment. Was that something that you looked at in covering these stories? So my particular focus has not been on free speech, but it's important because we are right now dealing with the reality where most of our speech is not in public. It's not in a public forum that's like operated by the government, it's private companies. And a lot of the questions we're wrestling with have to do with the fact that Twitter and Facebook are for-profit companies, parlors for-profit. And we have these principles of free speech that really matter to us, but at the same time, this is not something that really necessarily relates to the constitutional definition of free speech. It's more of a value rather than a legal norm to some extent. Yeah, because if these are private companies, they make the rules. To some extent. And that's why this whole question of the Democratic Senate matters, because there's been this ongoing discussion about Section 230 and what it means to be a platform as opposed to a media company and what it means to be a social network and what rules apply to you and what rules don't. And that's why this gets so complicated and so in the weeds, um, even though it can seem from the outside like a very simple decision, like this bad content should not be allowed or this or everything should be allowed, depending on your your view. Yeah. So Parler is filing a lawsuit accusing Amazon of violating antitrust laws by cutting off the, their presence. Uh, so could Parler, I guess, f- do this uh, and could Trump do this after he's president? Could he uh, basically sue all these networks for defamation? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that he's probably thinking of something. It's <laughs> maybe possible that he might try to sue. And, I'm, sh- you know, it makes 
you know, Parler's going to do everything that it can to try to stay afloat. But I think, you know, right now we should expect that Parler's going to try to find another hosting service uh, beyond Amazon. But there is this backdrop of antitrust. And and what does it mean that we saw a bunch of major technology companies kind of operate around the same time to effectively bring another site offline? It's a site, I would argue, hosts a lot of really horrible things, horrible, like horrible things that probably should not be on the internet. But this, you know, it ra- it certainly raises something we should ask ourselves is what does this mean that Amazon, uh, Google and Apple were able to kind of do this? And what power does that show that they have? All right. That was Recode reporter Rebecca Howell. Thank you for being with us on this Monday. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, coming up on the show, CBS News released more footage from that cringy interview with Gail King last week. Our reactions to that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Last week, we talked about the 22-year-old Mia Ponsetto who tackled and accused a black teenager of stealing her phone. This happened at a hotel in New York City. Uh, She has since been arrested at her home in uh, California. And of course, there was that crazy interview with Gail King that she did before this arrest on CBS This Morning. Well, there's newly aired footage today because they gotta use use this up. I mean, yes, this interview was very cringy. Um, it includes Ponsetto, who is saying she's Puerto Rican and because of that, she isn't capable of racism. I, I really didn't, I wasn't racial profiling whatsoever. I'm a woman, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm like a woman of color. I'm, I'm Italian, Greek, Puerto Rican. You keep saying you're Puerto Rican. Does that mean that you can't be racist because you're saying you're a woman of color? Is that what you mean? Exactly. Well, so of course, everyone was accusing her of racism because specifically she targeted this young black boy uh, who she said stole her phone when uh, there were a lot of other people in the hotel. And it's like, why him? Right. And she just couldn't understand, even in that interview with Gail King, why people think it was a racist move. And now she's added to that. Right. Saying because she's a person of color, she uh, she's Puerto Rican. She can't even be racist. Is that even possible? That's not an excuse. Yeah, I think it's funny. I think it's uh, funny. Oftentimes we hear these conversations. We've talked about it here. Um, what BIPOC and all that stuff that I hate because it's lumping all these experiences together when, to be quite honest, being black in this country and being a person of color is two different things. Most POCs, there are still underlying anti-blackness and and, and, and a racism that is kind of a part of their own systems. And so oftentimes black folks are left to just be kind of these other um, individuals. And I think she she's Italian, Greek, and Puerto Rican. And even in her interview with Gail, uh, she showed after being saying she was a nice girl, she showed that she was a nasty girl and that she was also being racist to Gail and how she was handling it. Yeah, I think a lot of Latinx people feel this way and I think it's false. And I think a lot of people of color feel this way and it's false. And we're seeing that example because she attacked a 14-year-old child. And I think um, she may not be, she may be used to something else in her own communities, like hanging out with black folks or hanging out with other people of color and thinking that's acceptable to fight. But yeah, she she needs some help and she needs to um, figure out who she is because she's gotten in trouble with the law before. And this is probably not the last. No shade. This reminds me of, you know, who's that chick from that uh, from Dr. Phil that went viral with the mom? She's a white just... woman, though, Shira. OK, yeah, I'm just saying about young, <laughs> young, girl, young women, it seems just That's being just totally things. inappropriate. 
That's a yeah, different that thing. It's <laughs> another viral. Anyway. Uh, you're right. Listen, her lawyer, who poor lawyer sitting there next to her during this interview, just you could see on her face is like, what? I, I told my client to do this. She just does not listen. And at this point, no one can help this uh, young woman. She says that she gets a lot of anxiety attacks, which is why she acted this way. I think and the lawyer again, has to say whatever the lawyer has to say to make her not look bad. I I don't think it's anxiety attacks. Um, if it is, she is using that in term to lash out. And I don't think that's any excuse. Yes. So now she is in jail, I guess. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. Definitely people will be following it now that she... Um, is somewhat of a viral, she's a viral Karen. I'm not going to say she's a viral star. She's a viral Karen. Mm-hmm. She's a lot to learn, that's for sure. Well, coming up on the show, the FAA is threatening who they will add to their no-fly list. The details next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, how queer teachers are helping their students feel safe right now. Plus, the Twitch channel that is following all the protests from the ground in different cities. This is definitely a different look at the news. We're going to be getting into what that's all about this hour. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. A video has been released of Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg saying that the Capitol Hill riots were not organized on its platform. I think these events were largely organized on platforms that don't have our abilities to stop hate and don't have our standards and don't have our transparency. But certainly to this day, we are working to find any single mention that might be leading to this and making sure we get it down as quickly as possible. And of course, that was not the answer that people wanted to hear. They're not letting Facebook go that easily at this point. Even though they're now making actions, it seems like once again, too little, too late. So they will still be held accountable by the public, it seems, and their community. Now, the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, is issued a warning to the public after incidents on multiple airlines on the way to and from Washington last week. They said federal law prohibits you from physically assaulting or threatening to physically assault the crew and anyone else on an aircraft. They said this in a tweet over the weekend. You could be subject to fines of up to $35,000 in imprisonment for such conduct. Now, they're referencing some things that happened on Alaska Airlines and American Airlines. A spokesman for Alaska Airlines, Ray Lane, said a number of passengers on Thursday's nearly full flight from Washington uh, were non-mask compliant, rowdy, argumentative, and harassed our crew members. They were heading to Seattle. I wonder what they had been doing in Washington. And as a result, 14 of them are banned from flying Alaska as long as it's pandemic mask policies in place. And uh, Amanda head or heed it's h-e-a-d posted a video uh, of a warning that came after several passengers chanted fight for trump in usa she was a passenger on one of these flights here's that video this flight's gonna be um it's a four and a half hour flight up to phoenix we'll pump put this plane down in the middle of kansas and dump people wow. up. i don't care that. we will do that if that's what it takes wow so <laughs> i mean yeah it seems like those were the same people possibly uh who were in washington oh they probably um, for sure yes. were they probably uh, really were and i think i saw this video of um 
of like this <laughs> this black girl she was on the plane and like all, literally all you hear is just like Trump supporters on the day of those are the ones that were at the Capitol Hill singing like the national anthem it gives very cult it's just very weird that people are disturbing everyday things and to be honest I'm surprised these airlines aren't just like saying we're not moving until you either comply with our mass mandates or get off the flight like it just seems like that stuff needs to happen and a lot of the these um, people who were at Capitol here are now being deemed like on a, a, um, a no-fly list. So, it, you know, it's happening. Yeah, what you just mentioned, Representative Benny G. Thompson wants riot participants to not just be removed from a flight or banned by one particular airline. Okay, uh, even on Thursday, and this is still being talked about, the chair of the House of uh, Homeland Security Committee urged the Transportation Security Administration, the TSA, and the FBI to put participants of the Capitol riot on the federal no-fly list. I was going to ask you if that's too far, but you've... Uh, You've responded before. Now, Twitter, finally, uh, their stock slid as much as 12.3% this morning. That comes after the social media company permanently suspended President Trump's account. The move could encourage politicians to end Section 230 for good. That's the law that protects Internet companies from liability for content users post. And we'll be talking more about that again with uh, a reporter from Recode all about free speech and the shutdowns and, of course, uh, Parler, that app. But let's get into some entertainment news. What's happening, Ryan? Oh, my God. Christy Alley had some strong opinions over Trump's ban off of social media. It is time for your tea report those pop culture stories that are trending right now. So here's what Miss Christy had to say. Quote, What's your take, Mr. Biden, on total censorship of conservatives? I know that many times you have said you're going to be the president of both parties. I really wish you would speak out and object to censorship on behalf of all people. Thank you. End quote. So she posted this after also announcing that Twitter had docked her 30,000 followers. I mean, who knows if that's true or not? Um, she, <laughs> she then went on to ask Elon Musk for help in finding new communication lines after she claimed her Twitter followers were going down by 10,000 an hour. I mean, she completely, this rant, she was like losing it. She ended it by saying, if we are going to agree that private businesses like Twitter have a right to discriminate against anyone they want uh they want business i mean they want because of politics then we are laying the groundwork for businesses to discriminate against race gender religion sexual persuasion etc giant steps backward guess what christy alley they're already mm. doing that sis they're already not you know there's businesses that the trump administration were okaying and the supreme court were okaying saying guess what we won't serve you because you're queer so what is she talking about now that it's affecting her in some ways are affecting someone she supports she's all like up in ears like what okay that's actually an interesting take. Like we're seeing uh, people do this offline, right? And so how it'll be interesting to see how the the social media life integrates into our offline life, right? And, and do we apply the rules to both spaces? We do not. Just like all Republicans, they only care about something until it starts affecting them. So if you want to read more about this unfortunate story, head over to our website at wearechannelq.com. Now coming up, how this queer teacher is helping his students feel safe right now. He's a GLSEN 2020 Educator of the Year. He joins us right after this.
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The current state of the country and daily news is bringing up a tough question for teachers and educators. How do you approach these topics with uh, the kids and students at school? And Trey Robinson is a very special person. He's a special educator at Eastside Union High School District. He received Glisten's 2020 Educator of the Year Award. I mean, come on. This guy is just doing it and, and doing amazing work. He joins us right now. Thanks for being here. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very inspiring everything that you're doing. You teach 9th to 12th grade special education students. Uh, were politics or even social issues something that you typically brought up in classes? Social issues are something that I bring up in all of my classes. You know, my original subject matter is I work with students who had severe emotional and behavioral disturbances. So social issues are something that those kids are inundated with. They can't get away with from it. They have problems at home. They have problems in school. They don't get along with necessarily their peers or their teachers because they've had different experiences than everybody else. So processing those issues and helping kids figure out how do I exist in a society or an environment that I don't fully understand and that doesn't really understand me has always been a focus of my classroom work because the universe and, and the world really doesn't listen to kids when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, you know, you you speak about educational tools and obviously I feel like you're creating those because you're mm-hmm. one pulling from your experience and also uh, things that you've learned when you were going to school. But what, what are some of those educational tools that you're using that you find to be so um, positive for these students? Really framing discussion questions and letting them share their own views and giving them the, the tools to then repeat back. Like, you know, yeah, you're understanding me. I That is what I'm saying. Thank you for, for repeating that to me and letting me know that you heard me and then having them, you know, move on and share with another classmate or another peer and, and helping facilitate a conversation where two people can have different views, but still get along. Mm, yeah, again, we're talking important. to... A special educator Trey Robinson right now. Now, how do you bring in your own experience and intersectionality into the classroom to help your students? And specifically, as this um, article uh, talks about in LGBTQNation.com, where we found you uh, to help them feel safe right now. Honestly, the only thing that I can think of to do is to tell them it's going to be okay and, and to share experiences from my own life and say, look, you know, I, I feel you. I understand. You watched something happen on TV that <laughs> couldn't have happened for you. You know, these are kids in the first, what, year of Trump's presidency. I was getting students who were coming to class, teenage boys in tears. Why are 15-year-old boys coming and crying? They were getting accosted on their way to school and having racial epithets screamed at them and having, you know, being told they weren't going to amount to anything. I've had that happen to me. I know what that feels like to look them in the eye and say, you know what? I've been there and you don't deserve it is, is want probably the only way that I really do know how to connect with them is to be authentically me and be like, you know, we have suffered the same things. I mean, that's so powerful because I I think about how I grew up and I grew up in the South and I I had some teachers who saw me and championed me, um, but I never had someone who looked like me and I felt was kind of like a queer counterpart or community, right? And that's something that I had always wished for. 
Um, how do you encourage your colleagues to have the same conversations with care and seeing people and not using any biases that they may get from the outside world and bringing them into the, the school system? You know, I, I have a Twitter handle that I operate that I use for, for sharing information with my peers and my colleagues. I have a website and a YouTube where I, when things like this happen, I post, I post lessons, I post material, you know, when this happened, I looked up the song, make them hear you, um, which is a very old one, but I feel like it rings true. You know, we cannot put down our, our sword, whether it's the sermon or the pen, if, if justice has not been served, yeah, we can't stop yet. And teachers are struggling to figure out what they're supposed to do. You know, do I teach my academic content or do I comment on this? We're usually told not to talk about politics. How can we not, though? Mm -hmm. And is there a way to have a win-win? Like, can you integrate both? I believe it's possible. Absolutely. You know, the win-win is provide them the, the platform and the opportunity for information and, and discussion. And then as you feed them the data, all you have to do is ask questions. What do you think this means? Do you know what this is? Have you ever, do you know what the 25th Amendment is? You don't have to put forth your opinions. You don't have to inundate them with what you want them to think. We want them to think for themselves. That is your win-win. That's uh, powerful. I mean, where were you at when I needed a damn teacher? Goodness gracious, you're incredible. Right? I'm obsessed with you. I really am. I, I was probably, you know, waist deep in my private Christian high school having a horrible experience oh and deciding goodness. I needed to be a teacher. And then just finally, Trey, how, how can parents integrate what these kids are learning from teachers like you who are unique? And I would hope is the, you represent the next generation, but how do you integrate the learnings into the home? You teach the kids to approach their parents. Right now, kids don't know how to talk to anybody because what I hear the most from them is that nobody wants to hear what they think. So if you're a parent and your kid is telling you something about, you know, I heard this in class today, don't tell them they're wrong. Tell them, okay, what did you think? And listen. Mm, curiosity. All right. That was Trey Robinson, special educator at Eastside Union High School District. Uh, thank you so much for being here. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me. Now coming up on the show is the country falling apart. It seems like it. Well, though, according to this article, it depends on where you get your news. We're going to be explaining that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. If you're following the news these days or perhaps listening to our show, it might feel like the country, the world is falling apart. Uh, but according to Emily Vanderwerf, who's the critic at large for Vox, that depends on where you get your news. And she joins us now. Thanks for being here. It's so good to be here. So your entryway into the story was through uh, a Twitch channel that you watched called Woke. Mm -hmm. uh, can you explain what it is and what caught your attention, specifically on the day of the Capitol riots? Right. So this last year, as there have been so many protests uh, in the wake of George Floyd's murder, um, there have been there's been sort of this cottage industry of sites that are um, collecting live streams from Facebook, from Twitch, from YouTube, from a number of platforms, and then putting them all in one screen so you can follow all of them at once. And Woke is one of the places that does that. It's part of a website called Woke. 
uh, which has the same name. And uh, they typically have done like social justice oriented people who are more progressive uh, are the people that they sort of have their live streams. But the day of the Capitol insurrection, um, there were many different, you know, uh, alt-right white nationalist uh, streaming accounts and they were sort of collecting all of them in one screen. And at certain points it was like, they had like 16 different ones up on screen and you only heard the audio from one of them, which was usually a channel that was not, you know, doing uh, anything. It was like a PBS or something that Mm -hmm. was a little bit more newsy, but it was really interesting to see these feeds from all around the country, not just Washington from, from Salem, Oregon and Olympia, Washington and Denver, Colorado and so on and so forth. That really gave a sense of, a country that was in real crisis. Yeah, and one thing that I love that you highlighted in your piece was what we saw and what we continue to see from Republicans essentially on these kind of right-wing networks and them kind of having this tidy narrative to really explain what took place on the Capitol. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to talk about what are some of the dangers of a tidy narrative because I even think that Democrats and a little bit of what we see you know, Joe Biden, in my opinion, do in his speech, his initial speech, I, I was a little like, ugh, it, I wish it was a little stronger. You know, I think that we see this happening so often. I would love for you to dive in a little bit more on that. I think there is a real danger in thinking that this is a thing that can just be done and that this is a thing that could just go away. You know, this sort of action within a country that's purportedly democratic is often a prelude to far worse, even if, you know, ultimately it doesn't result in the collapse of democracy, if that sort of uh, insurrection is eventually put down more conclusively, it still results in, you know, some really terrible things happening. Do I think the United States is on the brink of civil war? I don't, but like, I think that thinking it is about to just sort of, you know, Joe Biden's going to become president and all of this is going to be put to rest or even be on the way to being put to rest, I think is, is not true. And I think that it is equally dangerous to believe that this is like a thing that can just sort of be tidied up as cable news too often does. And some of that is just the fact that cable news needs to sell dish soap and ad breaks and can't make (laughs) things seem too complicated or scary, but this is complicated and scary and it's worth engaging with that. Yeah, definitely. You're hearing from Emily Vanderwerf, who's the critic at large for Vox.com right now. It's so interesting because it really goes back to the evolution of news. I think that way back in the day, it almost was like uh, when it was white men hosting it, like with, with that cigarette kind of at the end of the day, it was like, I'm going to relax you. I'm going to calm you down. I'm going to be the person to like make you feel safe instead of necessarily being the a full truth teller. Uh, can you maybe discuss how that's influenced how maybe news is even now? We're, we're trying to be truth, truth tellers, but we're also trying to maybe be the ones to comfort uh, people watching. Yeah. And I think that there is a natural need for that. You know, uh, when I was watching the Twitch stream, I was terrified and like, I don't know how justified some of that terror was. Like I live in downtown Los Angeles and there were Trump supporters who were down here and, uh, and did some very terrible things. Attacking a black woman actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it is a thing that like, I need to know that. I'm glad to know that as a trans woman living in the United States with a bunch of people who don't particularly like my existence. It's good for me to know that. But at the same time, like being an abject terror isn't a way to live your life because uh, you eventually burn yourself out on it and then you don't know what to actually be scared of. So I think there is a usefulness to getting a level of comfort from the news where I think 
American television in particular sometimes is uh, troubling is that it feels the need to kind of push everything into that space where, okay, we're no longer afraid. We can step back. We can analyze this. We can understand it. And that will help us, you know, put it to bed in our own brains, whereas we don't do enough to sort of figure out the causes of what happens. So how do we find the balance between the realness of citizen journalism and the curation of cable news? We'll be back with more of Emily Vanderwolf, the critic at large for Vox.com after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We are back with Emily Vanderwerf, the critic at large for Vox.com. I think this country often uh, turns into an echo chamber, especially what mm-hmm. you see on um, like CNN or some of these news cable outlets um, where I think we are extremely ready for a time where we have to be faced with the violent nature of this country and with the truths that are happening. Because oftentimes, especially me coming from a very intersectional queer perspective, um, uh, being black also, you know, I've had to come to the terms of, oh, this country doesn't want me here or I could die just by walking my dog out on the street. And I think there's something to be said about this idea of comfort being kind of used as a tool to make everyone comfortable well more so we need to be more uncomfortable so we can have the actual you know tangible knowledge of saying hey we need to shift things and change things instead of just being like oh that happened last Wednesday and no one else is talking about it so I think there's something to be said about seeing kind of the the violence and even Don Lemon he said something um when people the CNN had chose not to play the woman that ended up getting shots uh, video on a uh, cable saying I think we should have saw that we saw George Floyd for eight minutes and, you know, getting stuffed out, basically. Yeah. Why are we not seeing the same thing? And I think sometimes you need that kind of jolt of lightning to shake the the, the core of this country to understand what is happening here. The comfort yeah. is we're past that at this point, right? And if we continue to just want comfort, then are we really ever going to change? Are we really ever going to understand that people are dying? The You know, people's lives are at stake here. I think that It is important that television news confront us with the truth of who we are and the things that we do, particularly the more privilege you have within the United States. It is good to be confronted by that. I think that the problem is doing that without creating fear because fear often redounds on the people who need the most protection, who need the most um, boosting up, who need to have uh, a more equal, more just society. And like that is a line that is very hard to walk. Is television news doing a good job of it right now? It is not. I think a lot about how in the uh, 60s, one of the things that led to the civil rights movement having the successes it did, and one of the things that led to the end of the Vietnam War were these extremely powerful, extremely upsetting images that were broadcast everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they were in every newspaper, they were on every TV channel. Granted, the main problem now is, you know, if CNN shows that video of the woman being shot, which I do think there's a really good argument for showing that, you know, a lot of networks won't. And there is this siloed idea of like, especially on the right, people are choosing a news source that just sort of lines up with what they think and what they want to hear. And then they never consider other news sources. And it's gotten to the point where many of them are abandoning Fox News for being too progressive, if you can believe it. And like, that concerns me as as yeah. both as a journalist and as a consumer. Yes, of news. yes. I, I guess 
Emily, as, as we wrap it up, what was, what's your takeaway from your piece or from you reporting um, about um, all of this that day and seeing what was happening from social media to cable news um, and Twitch? My takeaway was that it is worth going out and looking for how things are on the ground right now. One of the things that I found really useful about watching the protests last summer that were, you know, that were advocating for better racial justice, for, you know, an end to racist policing, that sort of thing. It really helped me see the degree to which on the ground those were, you know, just absolutely terrifying to be in and the ways that police were pushing back against them in, in ways that I think you rarely see on television because television tries to present those tidy narratives. I think it is worth going out and looking for that. I think that every single human being on this planet has a limit to how much of that they can consume. But at a certain point, that is up to you to know. It is not up to the news networks to tell you, yes. when, you when you are in that place. All right. That was Emily Vanderwerf, the critic at large for Vox.com. Thank you so much for being here. It was great. Coming up next, Twitter is responding to Melania Trump, how they are dealing with her. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, ways to take care of yourself when the news is just traumatizing. We could all use that right now. Plus, the latest record that Lil Nas X is breaking. Something to end the show on that's positive. Stay tuned for that on our Yes Queen of the Day. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. World Health Organization head Dr. Tedros is now uh, sounding the alarm on concern that the more the virus spreads, uh, it increases the chance of mutations. Here's what he had to share today. Over the weekend, WHO was notified by Japan about a new variant of the virus. The more the virus spreads, the higher the chance of new changes to the virus. Most notably, transmissibility of some variants of the virus appears to be increasing. Okay, 2021, we can do this. <laughs> we can do this, God, between last week and this, I mean... Uh, this is science. So, yeah, once again, it's why we should all follow the regulations and just be patient. There's a light at the end of the tunnel if we do. Uh, now, First Lady Melania Trump made her first comments today about the violence of the Capitol when pro-Trump rioters stormed the building last week. In a lengthy written statement posted to the White House website and shared on her Twitter account, she said that her heart goes out to the six people who have died since the attack, including two Capitol police officers. Here's a little bit of that statement. She said, I'm disappointed and disheartened with what happened last week. I find it shameful that surrounding these tragic events, there has been salacious gossip, unwarranted personal attacks, and false misleading accusations on me from people who are looking to be relevant and have an agenda. This time is solely about healing our country and its citizens. It should not be used for personal gain. And she added, of course, I absolutely condemn the violence um, and what unfolded the Capitol and said, um, Never make assumptions based on the color of a person's skin or use differing political ideologies as a basis for aggression and viciousness. Okay, there's a lot there. To yeah, unpack. there is. I was like, there's I can barely lot. keep up with it. Uh, was this the statement that we were looking for? 
No, because first of all, where has she been? I mean, I think the last place the, the that they said she was like taking photos with rugs or something like that. Like she has been nowhere to be found. And especially at a time that her husband incited all of this violence. And then the fact that she took it to like then like kind of divert the attention to something else about salacious gossip. Like, girl, what are you talking about here? Your whole platform was on bullying and she didn't do in all of the four years. She hasn't done anything. Thing to actually do something about online, you know, bullying because her husband is the number one corpor- uh, culprit. So it's just ridiculous that this is what she decided to say and didn't even. Honestly, she could have kept it. I would have rather not have heard from her um, than her to have released this terrible statement. Yeah, and as I mentioned before, I said you know Twitter reacts. I meant uh, not actually Twitter the platform because they have taken her husband off Twitter. Uh, I wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised if he tries to take over one of his family's accounts. That would be interesting. Uh, but I meant Twitter reactions. Like uh, a lot of people on social media felt this was not the right use of an, apo- an apology or a statement. Uh, you know, her just saying going from. I'm disheartened and disappointed and then saying, oh, but we got to look at the gossip and personal attacks. Like it kind of makes it more about you than being there for the country right now. And finally, Hallmark Cards asked two GOP senators to return their campaign donations today following the violent riot that overtook the U.S. Capitol last week, the insurrection, of course, the company's political action committee. Who knew? It's called Hall Pack. They sent notices to Senators Josh Hawley and Roger Marshall requesting the return of $7,000 and $5,000 in donations made to the two senators, respectively, during their most recent runs for office. That's according to a Hallmark spokesperson. Uh, And they added this in a statement. They believe the peaceful transition of power is part of the bedrock of our democratic system. This is from Hallmark. And we abhor violence of any kind. The recent actions of Senators Josh Hawley and Roger Marshall do not reflect our company's values. As a result, Hall Pack requested that they return all their campaign contributions, which is like, okay, well, maybe you might not have wanted to make those in the first place, but just saying, just saying. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so really quick, special shout out to uh, the Sex and the City girls, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and Cynthia Nixon and Kristen Davis, who all announced the official return of Sex and the City, which is super exciting. Obviously, we knew there were some rumors happening about a reboot. We weren't sure what was going to happen, but the tea has been served and there is happening. It is actually happening on HBO Max. Um, However, the rival lineup is missing Kim Cantrell, which she had said that she would never work with those women ever again. So not really shocked here. Um, I believe the spinoff is actually going to be titled And Just Like That. Um, Mm. And and so it'll be really nice to see where these ladies uh, are picking up. They're now in their 50s. Um, And so it's going to be really, really incredible. And I'm super excited to watch, even though I've never actually seen the actual series, but I've seen the movies. Um, But who knows? I might pick it up and start watching again. It's a favorite of mine. I've always loved watching the Sex and the City series. Yes. And that's your team report. Okay, now coming up on the show, what your body could be telling you when you're consuming the news and what to do when it's too much. We'll be back in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. You see that notification or news alert and your heart skips a beat. So how do you take care of yourself when traumatizing headlines are everywhere? And back with us is clinical psychologist, Dr. Josh Claypo. How are you doing, Dr. Josh? Because you're a human still, even though you have 
patients and clients. Therapists need therapists. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, I mean, I'm doing okay. Um, it's heavy. It's heavy and thick. That's the way that I sort of feel um, the, the, the trauma that's going around. Um, you know, a lot of times it comes intermittently, but this keeps layering on. And we've talked about it on this show before. It just keeps layering and layering and layering. Mm-hmm. And I do think we're at this point for m- many of us, if not most of us, that um, we do have to step back and step back, not just from the headlines, but really actively work to, to re-regulate ourselves. Um, because there's so much stuff going on that it's just, it's got most of us completely offline. And the scary thing is, to be honest with y'all, we're kind of adapting to it, which is good from a survival standpoint. That's good. But from a sort of mental health long-term standpoint, n- maybe not so good. Well, you know, I think what's interesting is um, I feel like a lot of times I know I shouldn't be taking in all this news and sometimes I need to be unplugging. But then also I'm like, am I a sadomasochist in some ways? (laughs) Because it feels like I'm putting myself in these positions to feel overwhelmed, to feel like I have to to listen and watch everything and be on top of everything. How much accountability should we be taking in that, right? In, In making these decisions that we obviously know are like making us lose our mind. Well, it's a great point because what you're fighting against is, I mean, you really are fighting against natural evolution. We are drawn towards the danger to the, the novelty towards things that are dangerous because that's a protective factor. If you think about it, it, it's designed to teach us something so that we don't put ourselves in that position. And that's where the draw comes from. That's where the, you know, the rubbernecking and the looking at all the stuff. And I think the problem that we've got is there's so much stuff that is going on that is new that you are drawn to that the experiment you kind of have to run for yourself is ask yourself this. Am I watching something or reading something or listening to something that I already know that it's not, you know, it's not quote breaking news. And then the test is if the answer is yes, I already know this then can I have be strong enough to pull myself away and be okay with knowing that there might be something else coming, but I'll catch it later. Mm. You know, th- that's the thing is if it was the same thing over and over again, after a while you do get saturated. The problem is it's all, it feels brand new every time we're watching or listening. And that's where you have to play the mind game and say, this isn't new. I've already seen this. I've already read this. I'm going to step back and then I'll step in. Yeah. Or like everyone on Instagram has their own take on it. Right. So you're like, oh, this is something new. This this visual image is a new. It seems like I'm getting new information, even though it's the same thing. And then you get into the doom scrolling thing and then you're just attached to your phone and hours go by. Well, and you just said the other thing is so so there's a lot of practical pieces here. If Mm -hmm. hours are going by, if you can't get your work or your school done, if you are, you know, obviously feeling distressed then what you are saying or what your body and mind is telling you is that, okay, this is too much. You know, if I'm, if I'm scrolling so much that I literally can't do what I need to do on a daily basis, that is too much. And, and that's really important because sometimes your brain's going to tell you you're, it's fine, but if you're not getting your work done, if you can't get your school done, if you're not interacting with your family, then it doesn't matter what your brain's telling yeah. you. It's not fine. What can you do? And you mentioned one of those things to like to step back, but what else can you do to take care of yourself in these trying times? I, there's, there's really two things. One, 
make your self-care or self-help, self-health and health a priority. And all I mean there is sleeping, eating, exercise. Like if you're blowing those things off to watch news, then that's not good. So make those things a priority. I'm not saying hours and hours, but don't be skipping. Then the second thing is, and this is a little harder, but even as you're watching and being pulled in, pay attention to things like your breathing. Like, am I, am I starting to shorten my breath because I'm getting anxious? And so instead of taking hours to unplug, maybe take a minute or two to unplug. Step back for a, for a couple minutes. You don't have to unplug completely, but you want to keep yourself as regulated as possible. And sometimes just taking a step back for a couple minutes is really all you need. You don't need a day to unplug. How would you recommend uh, telling people in your life that if you're witnessing, like I, I, around the holidays, obviously the Nashville bombings happened and my mom was so shook by it that she, it was really difficult for her to kind of get into the holiday spirit, which of course, duh. Um, but how do you, so, someone who I know that she watches the news all the time, how do I express these same things to her to kind of have her understand that I see that? happening to her. Ryan, I love what you just said. You see what's happening to your mom. You see that she's different, maybe in her tone, maybe in the way that she's acting. That's the important part. There is too much going on right now to tell people you just got to unplug. I mean, that's, come on. There's too much going on. But what you can't do is spend so many hours engaged that you're that you're not working, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're not interacting with people. That's the litmus test. All right. That was uh, clinical psychologist, Dr. Josh Claypo. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the day. Yes, Queen. A shout out to Lil Nas X, who continues to break records and career milestones with, of course, Old Town Road. It's the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) It feels like forever. forever. Right? Oh, my God. It feels like so long ago. And the song just went 14 times platinum, making it the highest certified single ever. And that cements Little Nas X and his status as a true superstar. So congrats to him. What's he been up to, by the way? I guess he took a so, year off. No, he, I mean, yeah, he no? took a year off, but he has so much. He has a new single out called Holiday. Okay. He has new music videos. He has a children's book. You know, oh, you don't follow it. him, right? You I must not. I yeah. don't follow him as closely as I should, obviously. Yeah, I mean, uh, he has so a lot that he's working on. Congrats to him on that huge milestone. And let's move on to something fun uh, from our favorite ice cream brand, Ben & Jerry's. Well, it depends what you're into, but they do really good stuff. And they announced their frozen dog treats line it's their first ever line of treats for the doggies in your life to make uh flavor fantasies come true for people's pooches they said okay so they created two flavors paunches mix which has peanut butter and pretzel swirls and rosie's batch that is made with pumpkin and mini cookies they're dog-friendly desserts uh, and made with water, sugar, coconut oil, pumpkin puree, pea protein, basically a lot of natural flavors. So you're not giving your dog something bad. By the way, this is not sponsored. We just uh, are into Ben & Jerry's. And they do great stuff. And we thought this was cool. Uh, so you can check that out. They're going to be hitting uh, U.S. grocery stores and pet stores later this month in case you want to buy something for yourself and your dog at the same time. And that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. So now I know what to get Coco. 
I need to get her a she little treat. She won't eat that. She's so she's so picky. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, the she embarrasses me every time we go to Petco or PetSmart where they try to give her a treat and she'll put it in her mouth and then just set it down on the floor and then walk away from it. She's embarrassing. Don't give her anything. All right. She doesn't deserve Ben and Jerry's. I got it. Uh, but we'll be back tomorrow, same time, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, live here on Channel Q. Tomorrow, of course, we're going to be updating you uh, with everything happening in politics and uh, the president and Biden. I don't even know. It's hard to keep up with. There's something changing at every moment and something new. So you can always rely on us to bring you the up-to-date information. Plus, we're going to be bringing you uh, the fertility options for the LGBTQ plus community in 2021. You know, there's different restrictions because of COVID, but we're going to be sharing the options that you do have going into this year. In the meantime, you can keep up with all our interviews and our show as a podcast. Just go to the radio.com app and search Let's Go There, or where podcasts are available, of course. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. And stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where they're going to be covering how to get your family into therapy. Ooh, that's an interesting one. That's next. <laughs> 